You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. All right, why don't you, we are going to, uh, going to introduce a new series this morning. I've had this on my heart for some time. Uh, we're going to look at a number of uh, parables of Jesus. We're going to start Matthew chapter 13. Um, I'm not really sure at this point how many we'll look at. I know we're going to look at at least two or three, uh, maybe 20. I don't know. But uh, we're going to start here. This is where the Lord actually led me to this some several weeks ago, and I've just really been feeding on it. So I, if you're taking notes and you like titles, lessons from the boats, what we're going to talk about, we're going to begin in today and Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1, uh, we're going to look at this morning. We probably really won't get much beyond a couple of verses here. Again, I'm really just going to introduce all of this to you today. So Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into the boat, into a boat, and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And that leads into the first parable. We won't even get there today. I want to talk to you uh, about several things that are involved here. Jesus, uh, you know, the scripture tells us that in this case, he, he came out of the place that he was staying, went down to the shore, and there were so many people there that he got into this boat, pulled out a little ways. And, and I'm sure all of you or most of you have had that experience. The, the reason he did that, and I, what I, this is really a point we're going to emphasize today. The reason he did all of this, the reason he got in the boat, the reason he used parables was to make the word of God absolutely unmistakably clear as he spoke it to people. He wanted, if, if you can imagine yourself standing on the shore, um, I don't know. I know there are lots of storms. I've never been to the Sea of Galilee. Some of you probably have. Um, you know, on any, even a large lake like that, there are going to be some waves, right? There's some noise there, right? Jesus wants everybody to be able to hear, and this whole crowd gathers. He wants people to be able to see and hear him as he's speaking to them. So he gets in a boat and gets out just a little ways from the shore. You all know how water carries sound. Sound over water just carries. He, is, he essentially put himself, he made a little amphitheater, you know, by, by sitting in that boat, he was able to be heard and seen, but I think especially heard. You've probably been, I mean, I know I've been, especially if it's not real windy or something, you're out at the lake and there's somebody in a fishing boat way out there and they're talking, you can hear every word they say, you know. We just had an experience, it wasn't at the lake, we just had an experience like that a couple of weeks ago up cross-country skiing and there were some people, we were up Washington Gulch, there were some people coming down the road, we were on the other side of the valley but it was a calm day and the same thing with all of the snow and they were a little bit above us and you could hear every word, you know, they were chattering away, you know, and, and you could just hear it was a group of ladies. We've always noticed on the trails, this isn't a sexist thing. This is just, you know, guys will go along and not say a word for a long time, you know, and ladies are always having a conversation. But anyway, could hear every word they were saying. They were a quarter mile away, you know. Well, this is what Jesus was doing was he was putting himself in a position to be heard. 
But that's important because Jesus is the word. He was going to speak the word. He was going to teach principles and he wanted to make them unmistakably clear. He didn't want anybody to go away from this with the excuse that, well, I couldn't really hear what he was saying. You know, somebody next to me was talking and dealing with their child and I couldn't hear a word he was saying. You know, he wanted to make what he was going to say unmistakably clear. And God does that. He still does that with us. He will, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We know how powerful the word of God is. The word of God carries the power to bring itself to pass. Luke chapter 1 verse 37 tells us that. All right, it's a seed, it's a container. If, if God's speaking to you about healing, he's not just teaching you about healing. He'll usually be revealing to you that he is the healer and within the very word itself will be the power to eradicate a disease or a, a problem from your body. The word is powerful. Jesus wanted everybody to get the word. God the Father wants to speak to us. He wants a conversation with us. He wants to impart himself through his word to us. All right, so Jesus put himself in this position on purpose so that everything he said would be understandable. It would be available to people. He wanted it to be available to everybody. All right, so we know that the word of God is the source of all revelation about the nature of God. You say, well, no, that's Jesus. Yeah, but Jesus is the word, okay? Jesus is the exact image of the Father. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is the Bible in flesh, okay? More and more and more, we're having people argue about there, there's, there's kind of a wave. This isn't the first time. All of these things that happen that we see come through, if you read some church history, all of these different waves of contradiction or whatever that come through the church, they've all happened before. I'm starting to see them repeat in my own lifetime. It's, it's like bell bottoms, you know? I mean, it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's amazing the things you see come back around. And honestly, I kind of think, I mean, I believe it was God's will that originally, obviously, we weren't supposed to die. But at this point, with the way things are on the earth and stuff, it seems like there's a point where you get tired of it. It's like, you know, I've been through this five times. I've done my part. I think it's time to go be with the Lord. I'm not saying that about me yet. I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't know what that had to do with anything I was saying. So, so the word is where we, it's the source of revelation about God's nature. It's the source of revelation about our own salvation. Okay, it's, it's, the, it's the seed of spiritual life that comes into our hearts and produces itself and brings us into salvation, all right? The word of God is the catalyst for all the transformation of our heart and our mind, the renewing of our mind, okay? The Word and the Spirit work together to transform us. The Word is not something for us just to learn as doctrine. Doctrine's important, and Jesus is going to teach principles in these parables. But the Word is alive. The Word 
is food for our spirit. The word is all of these things. The word will transform your heart. So Jesus wanted everybody to be able to hear his words. His word is the seed for both hope and faith in our lives. And those two components are absolutely essential to us growing in God and bringing about the will of God in the earth. We have to, the, the word will come into your heart and the, one of the first things it'll do is if you let it in, is it will bring hope. And remember, that means in the Bible, that means confident expectation of good, confident anticipation of what God's about to do. And as that hope comes alive in our hearts, all this is going to, all of this is going to be really important to what Jesus says in these next few verses, okay? As that hope comes into our heart, it works in our imagination. All of a sudden, we can, God, we see something in God's word, and all of a sudden, it starts to come alive in us, and we can see it coming to pass, even though it hasn't come to pass yet. We can see what God has said. We can see that can be my reality. I know it. I'm confident of it. It's still in the future, but I can see it. I can see it. I can't see it with these eyes. It's not here now, but I can see it. I'm absolutely confident. This is what God wants to bring to pass. That's hope. That's biblical hope. And that hope, the book of Hebrews tells us, becomes the blueprint for faith. Faith is Faith and hope are so similar and so joined together. The difference is faith says it's here now. Hope says, I know it's coming. I absolutely know it's coming. When, it, when faith comes alive in our heart, all of a sudden, even if we haven't seen it yet, faith says, no, it's here. It's more real to me than what I can see, taste, hear, or smell on the outside. That's faith, okay? The word of God is the seed that brings both of those things into us, all right? And from that whole process is where we can start to declare the will of God, to pray the will of God, to pull on the will of God and see it come to pass so that we can see, taste, hear, and smell it. So that now, wow, I am walking in health. My body is healed or my community has changed or my marriage is fixed or this relationship over here, or whatever it is. That person is free from that addiction. See, and then we can walk in it, we can live in it, but we've got to have, this is how it works. And this is what he's going to talk about in this first parable of seed time and harvest. That's why he starts with that one. We've got to understand that the word that he speaks is a seed that is full of the life of God. And we are the garden. We are the seed bed. We are the place that it's going to get planted, right? Does that make sense to you? Okay, Jesus' entire ministry was about revealing the nature and the will of God. It was about showing us, teaching us. Again, he is the word of God in flesh. That is who he is. He is the revealer. Your words make your thoughts of your heart available and, and perceivable, knowable to me. My words make what's going on in my heart knowable to you. The word of God, Jesus Christ, makes what's going on in the Father's heart 
knowable to us. So everything that he did, he is the exact image of the Father. In the, in the Amplified Bible there, this is over in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says that he is the outraying of the divine. He is the radiance of God's glory, God's innermost essence. Jesus is that radiance. So his whole ministry was about revealing the Father. Can we agree on that? All right. So he comes up here and, and he, he gets into this boat. He takes that physical action so that he can be heard. And he starts to speak in parables. He starts to teach in parables. So the first question for me, and his disciples actually ask him this in verse 10 in this chapter, he is, is, why do you speak in parables? Why do you use parables? Okay, so I want to talk to you today just about what a parable is and what Jesus was doing here. The, the word parable comes to us. Our English word is just a transliteration of, the, of a Greek compound word, parabole. All right, parable it's two words put together just like we do in English oftentimes. Oftentimes we put two words together to make a new word. Um, parable para means beside, or in this case, it means to set beside, to put something beside something else. And, and bole is, is a term that means to throw, okay, to throw something, to throw a ball, to throw a rock. So what a parable does is it throws one thing down beside another. It sets one thing down beside another. And so what parables do, it's a form of teaching. It was really well known at this time. We still use it today, but it's very well known at this time. This was how the Jewish leaders taught. People were used to this form of teaching was one reason Jesus used it. But it's a very effective, powerful form of teaching where you take Something that people already understand, like a farmer going out in the field to plant seeds. Everybody that listened to him knew about that. Everybody knew how it was, uh, how fishermen went out in a boat and threw a net over the side to catch fish. Okay, everybody knew how vines and branches grew. Everybody knew that stuff. It was all around them. You know, we use images today from uh, from cars and from airplanes and from vines and branches and seeds, you know, we still use all those because we're taking something that everybody already understands and then we're taking a spiritual truth and we're setting them down together side by side so that the spiritual truth can be grasped, right? That's what a parable does. This is why Jesus used a very effective method of teaching. Again, the reason he was using it was to make his teaching as clear, as, as understandable, as unavoidable, unmistakable as possible. So he talked to them, he'll, he'll draw these word pictures for us, and then he'll give us spiritual truth along with it, okay? So, so what he's essentially doing with this is he's making it impossible this is one of those things I was going to say for people to do something. Well, they still can do it, but he's, he's making it impossible for the people that hear him to be able to come along and, and have the excuse, I just didn't get what he was saying. Really? You didn't understand how you plant a seed in the ground and it grows and if you put it on a rock, a bird eats it? And Really? 
You didn't get that? You couldn't understand that? He was, make, he was taking away an excuse for not, for anyone that heard him to not apply or obey the word of God. On, on the very loving, positive side, he was trying to be sure everybody got it. On the challenging, those who would oppose him side, he was saying, okay, this, you're, you're coming here to hear me speak. All right, you're coming here with the outward attitude. You're, you're displaying to the people around you that I want to know, I want to know God. I want to know what God's doing. I'm making that so clear that if you walk away from here in disagreement, it's obvious to everybody. It's because you're disagreeing with God, not because you couldn't understand it. Okay? So he is, he is going to, to great lengths to make all of this totally understandable and take away any excuse that we have for just saying, well, I just don't, I just don't get it. Okay? Parables link something familiar that we already understand to something that we don't yet understand. They're like a bridge to help us understand. You know, and again, I'll just keep coming back because this is the first one we're going to look at, not today, but the principle of seed time and harvest. That's a huge principle. It tells us in Genesis chapter 8 that as long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, day and night, heat and cold, seed time and harvest will all remain. As long as the earth is still here. So, so you can't say, oh, well, seed time and harvest, that was, Jesus taught that, but it passed away with the first century, you know. Like people try to say apostles and prophets passed away with the first century. No, they didn't. There's nothing in the scripture or church history that says that. People just say that if they're uncomfortable with it. Seed time and harvest gets applied. The fact that a seed grows in the earth is a miracle that we should be thankful for every day. Okay, the fact that, that, that seeds contain life and you can put them in the ground and they'll reproduce themselves many times over. You understand it didn't have to work like that? God made that happen. It didn't have to work like that. That was his idea, okay? That principle gets applied to our giving of offerings. It's planting a seed and, and we receive a multiplied harvest. It gets applied to our giving of mercy or love or grace to one another. It comes back to us multiplied. It gets applied in the scripture. It gets applied to being friendly and then having friends. It gets applied to the word of God being sown into our hearts and reproducing itself. There's always seed time and harvest always speaks of a multiplied return. So, so these are important principles. And, and knowing, knowing this and, and Jesus taking these two, this, this picture of a farmer sowing seed to talk to us about the condition of our heart and that kind of thing. Again, we're not even going to talk about that this week. But giving us that picture, it helps us grasp it. It's a bridge to understand the spiritual truth, right? That's what a, that's what a parable does, okay? Now, the thing is, oh, and this is so important. Parables, one of the things they do is... They bring spiritual truths, spiritual realities to our hearts by engaging our imagination. Okay, as soon as we say, 
a farmer went out to sow his seed, and some of it fell on a rock, and the birds came and ate it. We're all seeing that on the inside. The reason for that is because God created us to be able to see with the heart as well as with the eyes, to be able to hear with spiritual ears as well as with natural ears. God made us that way. And I, and I just want to touch on this for a minute because the imagination and the, the, the power of the imagination, the role of the imagination in the life of the believer has come under a lot of attack in the last 20 or 30 years because uh, New Age teaching picked that truth up that's a God truth and started to humanize it and misuse it and declare things that weren't true and get people in trouble. And it was used in cults and it was used in this and it was used in that. It was misused. It was perverted. And so the church went, oh my gosh, if you say imagination, you must be a new age teacher. It's like, no, 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 no. God had it first. Other people picked it up as they do with lots of things and perverted it and twisted it into something that's not true. But don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Understand that this is a God thing and parables engage the imagination. We can see it happening. It engages the heart. It engages the emotions. It, it, again, it's a bridge into a spiritual truth. And that's why Jesus used them. And again, they asked him, and we're going we're gonna to look at that in just a minute. They asked, why do you speak in parables? There have been some Bible scholars, I didn't even know this, throughout history. And, and the, anyway, the, the way some of the the way some of our English reads, I can see why people would get this. But anyway, we'll talk about this in a minute. There have been some Bible scholars throughout history who have had an agenda to say that God's nature is to hide stuff from us rather than reveal stuff to us. There's, there's certainly always, God's way too big for us to get all of it, and there is mystery in God. There always will be. We're not going to understand everything. But God's a revealer. He sent his son to reveal. He gave his word to reveal. He sent angels to speak to people. God has done about everything he could do to reveal himself to mankind. We can see his basic nature in the creation. I mean, he has really worked to put himself out there, okay? And so, but, but there are some that have said that, that he you know, that Jesus used these things to hide the truth. The exact opposite is true. He, he uses parables to move his hearers past just having an intellectual understanding of the word into being able to grasp it with their hearts. And, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us that spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. You have a spirit man on the inside. And if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives in your spirit. And we can get doctrine intellectually, and that's not a bad thing. But Jesus wants more than that. He wants us to be able to grasp it with our spirit and be able to draw the life out of it, be transformed by it, grow from it, be able to reproduce it on the inside of us. Okay, so he uses parables to do that. Now let's go to, uh, I think I have the wrong reference right there. Just, no, that's right. Matthew 13, you're in the right chapter, aren't you? Matthew 13. Um, I will be in a minute. Let's go to... Uh, 
verse 10. All right, now I'm going to read through this. It's going to read differently. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to read through this whole passage. We're going to go down through verse 18. And this is from the Passion Translation. And it really, it really brings out what is said here. But in verse 10, the disciples came and they asked him, why do you always speak to people? And this translation says, in these hard to understand parables. Okay. So they're coming to him with the question, why do you do this in parables? Why, you know, uh, they're, and, and I'm not sure that actually the words hard to understand are not in the in the original language there, but this is the way this translator brought it out because they were saying, you know, they'd heard by this time, they'd heard uh, the first parable and they were asking him afterwards, you know, open it up to us. Tell us what it means. Why is it that you do this in this way? Why do you use these word pictures? Why, why do you do this? Why not just, you know, lay it out in a one, two, three, like we would probably want it. So Jesus said in verse 11, so listen to this. He says, You've been given the intimate experience. I want you to notice that phrase. The intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths and mysteries of the realm of kingdom, uh, heaven's kingdom, but they have not. You've been given this intimate experience. Okay, so a couple things about that into mysteries. That word mystery in the New Testament always means things that were hidden that now have been revealed. That's, that's what that word means. Okay. And he says, you've been given this. They have not. Well, if we stop there, we can think, well, that wasn't very fair. Jesus gave it to these guys and withheld it from those guys. Okay. But that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus is pointing to an entirely different thing here. I also want you to notice revelation, hearing what God is saying, grabbing it with your heart is called an intimate experience. Okay. An intimate experience. The, that's okay. They, they don't just ignore those people behind the curtain. They're just doing their job. Um, I saw a thing the other day, Chris Valentin had posted something about people experiencing God, experiencing his presence, how important that was. And boy, the attack dogs came out, which they always do. You post anything, the attack dogs come out. That's just the way it is. But, but you know, they came out, oh, well, stop talking about experience. They just need his word. We should be having an experience with God in the word. It's full of life. The Holy Spirit works with the word. That's when we really grab it with our hearts. It's an experience. It's absolutely an experience. It's an intimate experience. And, and he tells his disciples, you've, you've been given this. All right? You have been given this. And he goes on, he says in verse 12, listen to this. For or because everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. Okay, so why were some people, what was the difference between the ones who had been given this intimate experience and the ones who had not been given it to him? What was the difference? One came with an open heart. One set came with an open heart. The other did not. It wasn't that God was withholding something from these over here. It was that one group of people came with an open heart to receive 
what God had said. Listen to this. Um, one of the footnotes in the Passion Translation here says, okay, for everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until they habitually superabound in understanding. Everyone who comes with an open heart will receive revelation until they habitually superabound in understanding of what God's saying. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to be. Habitually superabound. In other words, their container is overflowing. They are overwhelmed with how much God is pouring out to them. Why? Because Jesus chose to do that for some and not for others? No, because they came and listened with an open heart. This is just an absolute truth. When we come, when you, when you go to your time with the Lord, or when we come together in this service, or worship service, or remedy night, or any other gathering that you go to, maybe men's group, uh, definitely women's group. We'll see. <laughs> He's shaking. Oh, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> men's group will be very good. When we come to any of those things, it's the container we bring. It's the size of the container that we bring through desiring to hear what God is saying, through being open to being challenged or built up or strengthened or hearing something. A lot of you have probably heard about parables before, but you're hearing about it again today. And you know what? There's life in it because God chose it for us today. I hear messages that I've heard. I've taught them 50 times. I've heard them for 30 or 40 years, and I still suck the life out of them every time. Because I come ready to receive. I'm ready to draw on the anointing of people that come to lead in worship or to teach or to speak or to pray or whatever. I'm, I am there with a big container to draw. That's what makes the difference. And he says we can come to the place where we habitually superabound in understanding. I mean, that is powerful. And, and he goes on, he said, so it was everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation until he has more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open, teachable heart, even the understanding they think they have will be taken away from them. Harsh, but it's their choice. It's their choice. And it's not God that takes it away from them. It'll be ripped off from them. It'll be stolen from them. Even what they think, if they're coming with a closed heart, trying to, how do we do that? What's that mean? Well, that means either I'm rejecting who God is sometimes. I mean, that might be that. Or it might just be, I'm coming with a preconceived, I'm looking only for information that will confirm what I already think and what I already want to do. And I've already decided I'm going to go this way and I'm looking for people to agree with me and somehow spiritualize it and give me a scripture on it that I can apply that way and then I'm off doing my thing. And, and we do that. We come with that. You know, I've heard people justify the craziest stuff, try to justify with the Bible. It's, and it's nuts. It doesn't fit in the, the nature of God, the counsel of God, any of that. It's just their own deal. This is what I want to do. This is what my flesh is telling me to do. 
give me a verse, I'm going to fit it in here. That is coming with a closed heart. Even though you're bringing your ears with you, you're not there with an open heart. Rejecting, Jesus said, people didn't get stuff uh, from him. They, the, the word found no place in them because they rejected him. Because, oh, this is just, you know, the carpenter's kid and we've known him, you know, since he was a kid. I've known this girl since she was a baby, you know. So if she's to be up here, I've known this girl since she was almost a baby, not quite. She comes up here to minister. I'm sucking the life out of her. I am drawing on the anointing of God in her through this offering she just did. I'm thinking, oh, I could do this and that. I'm putting together more teachings from that. That's, you know, we've got to come and draw. If we come rejecting the person who's speaking because we don't like their personality, we don't like their accent, we don't like the way they're dressed, we don't like, and listen, guys, I've had to fight all of the above. I had the hardest time when I first started coming to church. All the preachers wore suits, and it seemed like all of them were from Texas and Arkansas. So they all had the same accent. Well, I had a prejudice about it that I didn't know was there. I didn't know. And I just, you know, they, they, they all wore a suit and tie. And the, the biggest thing when God started calling us to the ministry, I was afraid of is I was going to have to wear a suit and tie. Boy, that's a big deal compared to people and dying and going to hell, you know. Be really important for you to be able to dress in jeans, you know. Luckily, we're at that day, so praise God. But <laughs> I had those prejudices and I had to get over it. And God had to deal with my heart on a number of occasions to deal with me to say, stop it. This is ungodly. And you're missing what I'm saying because this is my anointed person right now. Listen to what's being said. So that would be coming with a, a closed heart. Oh, wow. I can't believe it. it's 11 o'clock. We're finishing this little passage and then we'll pick it up. Let me just read through this. Can't stop yet. Um, so he says, those who don't listen with an open heart, this is verse 13, an open and teachable heart, that means you're willing to change, okay? Even the understanding that they think they have will be taken from them. That's why I teach people using parables, because they think they're looking for truth. Yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover it. I think this breaks God's heart. Although they will listen to me, they never fully perceive the message I speak. That verse, it reads different in most of your translation. It, it, it literally says, even though they have the ability to hear, the physical ability to hear and the physical ability to see, they don't hear or they don't see. They don't do either one. Anytime we come with a closed heart, even though our eyes work, and our ears work, we don't see or hear spiritually. All right, this is what Jesus is saying. It's open heart, closed heart. That's what this whole thing is about. Open heart, closed heart. Just read through this prophecy. The prophet Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak. That means we're, we're using the ears God gave us, okay? They don't understand the thing I say. Why? Closed heart. They look and pretend to see. Uh-oh, that's never good but the eyes of their hearts are closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. In, in the uh, Aramaic, it says their minds are waterlogged. 
They just can't, they can't even move. Their minds are just waterlogged because they've already decided they've closed. Their minds are dull and slow to perceive. Their ears are plugged and are hard of hearing and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn and let me instantly heal them. And again, it's not God closing all that. It's whether their hearts are open or not. If their hearts were open, they'd hear, they'd understand, they'd get it, and they'd be set free. In verse 16, he says, but your eyes, the ones who came with an open heart, are privileged for they see. Delighted are your ears for they are open to hear all these things. Many prophets and godly people in times past yearn to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. They would have given everything to hear the revelation you've been favored to hear. Yet they didn't get to see as much as a glimpse or even hear a whisper. And then in verse 18, he says, now you're ready to listen to the revelation of the parable of the sower sows the seeds. So he says, it's all, he he did everything he could do to make the word absolutely clear. What that did was it revealed the hearts of the hearers. It, when it's that clear, it's like I'm standing up here. You say, oh, I want to see a rock. And I'm standing up here with a rock saying, this is a rock. And then you go away saying, I didn't see a rock. I didn't, I, there was no rock, you know, and you, you go away. He made it so clear that it made it all about Hearts that were open received everything and more than they could handle. Hearts that are closed didn't get anything. And when they walked away, the devil stole even more from them. The same is still true today. It's true of us every single time. God, here's what God will do. I'm closing. You look back at Psalm 23, the psalmist comes down. And at the one point he says, I don't, I'm not even afraid when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Didn't say it was in death. It said death was trying to rise up and block out the light, right? Trying to make itself big. He said, I don't even fear. And in the next verse, it says, when we're surrounded by enemies and opposition, what does God do? Sets out a banquet. Sets out a table. We're saying, God, where's the cave I can hide in? And he's saying, oh no, let's come out right in the middle of the meadow and let's have a banquet. I'm going to set the table with all this awesome food for you. Jesus called the word of God food, and he called obeying the word his food. Okay, I'm going to set out all this food for you. You know what? Those enemies, I don't care. They can sit out there and watch and be hungry. They can sit out there and slobber in the trees. I don't care. I'm so not worried about the enemies. We're going to have a feast. That's what God does. He sets out a feast for us. He'll do it every time we go into our prayer closet or every time we gather together. Jesus said, I will be right there in the midst of them. So I just encourage you, come with a big container. Come here, come wherever you go. You'll listen to a podcast. Come with a big container. Just draw on what the Lord has for you. Does this make sense? Let's stand up and pray. Father, I am so grateful I don't know how else to say it. I wish I had some better words for who you are, that you are our provider spiritually, physically, in every single way. You are the provider. You are so abundant and you have so much for us. And your word is so rich and so alive and you are so 
faithful to speak the things that we need to hear and to say them to us over and over and over until we can grasp it and get it. But Lord, my prayer for all of us and and those of us in this congregation who are not here this morning, I pray every one of us will grow hungrier and hungrier and hungrier to hear your heart and know you, to know who you are, to know what you're saying, to carry your word, to be transformed by it, and to take it out into this community, live it, first of all, apply it, and then, Lord, to distribute it in such a way that lives are changed. Father, I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that what's been said this morning go deep into our hearts, that we would go to every meeting with you with huge container to draw on the life that you provide. I pray as we get together tonight, Lord, just do everything that you want to do in this place during Remedy tonight. I thank you for it. Lord, I thank you that we go out as the church of Jesus Christ to accomplish that which you send us to do this week. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's say it on the count of three. And men's group really will be good. I know it. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. All right. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.